All right, if you have your Bible, uh, we are Acts chapter 5. We got a big chunk of scripture to look at today. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. So we're going to jump right there. Uh, let me give you a little context of where we are before we uh, start, before I start reading scripture and stuff. Um, if you remember, uh, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they went to the temple and on their way into the temple, there was a man who'd been, uh, he'd been lame for about 40 years. The, the Bible tells us he was 40 years old. He hadn't been able to walk. They said, he asked Peter and John for some money. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the dude stood up immediately. And it wasn't like baby steps. I mean, this guy was walking and leaping and praising God. He was all over the place. And as a result, this big giant crowd came together. And Peter said, oh, I got a crowd, all right? Nice, nice, all right? He, and he started preaching the gospel. He started laying out what Jesus Christ had done and, and what, what their response to that should have been. And as a result, we saw a large number of people, I think it was about 3,000, that came to know Christ that day, put their faith in him. Well, the religious leaders, they weren't having any of this because they, they, there were a bunch of different reasons why the religious leaders were opposed to this. So they grabbed Peter and John, and they threw them in jail. And the next day, they, they pulled them out, and Peter said, all right, look at this, I got another crowd. And he preached the gospel to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders got really upset. They, they, were, not, they were not pleased with this. And they threatened them and said, listen, you have got to stop preaching. And Peter said, look, I don't, I, I, you tell me what you want. I'm going to keep doing this because God told me to do it. And they threatened him some more, and then they released him, and they went out. And um, they, they, told, they told the church what was happening. And at that point, they got together, they had a prayer meeting, and they prayed for boldness. They said, Lord, give us, the, give us boldness to continue to speak your word. Well, then last week, what we looked at was we looked at how, how the church was functioning. We, we, got a, we went from a 30,000-foot view down to being inside the church. And we saw Barnabas and his generosity and how he had a field and he sold the field in order to meet the needs of people in the church who had some needs. And then we looked at uh, Ananias and Sapphira who did something very similar, but they did it for the wrong reasons. And there was discipline that came on them. Now today, what we're going to see is we're going to see a, a situation was very similar to what we looked at in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. So let's go to prayer. Uh, actually, let me read uh, part, of the, part of the passage first. Because it's about 30 verses, I'm not going to read the whole thing right at once. We'll read it as we get to it. Let me read uh, Acts 5, 12 through 16, and then we'll, we'll jump to it. Here we go. Um, Acts 5, 12 through 16 says this. Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us now as we take a look at uh, this passage. Lord, we take a look at, at what happens when, um, when persecution and, and uh, uh, trouble comes to the church and how we are to respond 
in regards to it. Lord, I pray that our lives would be different. We'd be more like your son as a result. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, so uh, I entitled this message, Ministering Through the Gospel, because what we're going to see is that the gospel permeates everything that's about to happen, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Uh, the first section that we see here in, that I just read to you, 12 through 16, uh, is what we see is the gospel enriches the humble. All right, we're going to see a lot of humility in this particular section. Uh, it, uh, in Acts 4, 29 through 30, I just talked about this a second ago, the apostles, they came together after being released, and they prayed that God would give them boldness to speak the gospel and that the miracles and signs would continue to be able to continue to draw people to Jesus Christ. What we see here in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, God answered their prayer. God gave them boldness, and they continued to do these signs. In fact, he gave them so much boldness, they went back to the temple, to Solomon's colonnade. That's the place where they were arrested the first time. They, they, they had so much boldness in speaking the word of God that they said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to where the crowds are, even though we know that if they catch us, even though they told us not to do this, they're going to throw us back in jail. They went ahead and went right back to where they were. Um, the religious leaders were, were very upset with, with their teaching, and they were upset for a number of different reasons. Um, most of that had to do with their power. right? The religious leaders were some of the most powerful people in all of Israel, and they viewed Peter and John and the rest of the church as a threat because it was going to upset their power structure, and we'll see that here in just a little bit. Um, but it, you know, it takes boldness. And just as they prayed, they continued to do signs and wonders. And as a result, as we see in Acts chapter 5, 14, there were multitudes of people that came to be believers in Jesus Christ. Because they were bold in the face of knowing that, that there, were there was trouble on the horizon. If they continued to do this, because they prayed for boldness and God gave it to them, we see multitudes of people continue to give their lives to Christ. Now, there is a sad point here. Acts chapter 5.13, it tells us this. It says, no one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Right? It's a little bit sad. There were people who heard the message, but weren't willing to make the, the commitment that it took to become a believer, mostly out of fear of what was going to happen to them, or out of fear of the religious leaders. Right? And we see that even today where people, they, they hear things and they go, oh, those Christians, they're really nice people. But I can't do that because I don't know what such and such is going to say over here. Or, or, you know, we have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, but we go, oh, it might get me in trouble at my job. Right? So I'm just going to be quiet because I don't want people at my work to think I'm one of them Jesus freaks. Right? I don't want people to, you know, to, to think that I'm one of them religious nuts. You know, I, people, people where I work, they, at the school, they know I'm a pastor. And some of them, it, this is, it, it's kind of humorous, some of them will stop cursing whenever I come around. You'd think elementary school teachers wouldn't curse, but we got, we got some people that curse. And then there's this one guy, every time I come around, he just curses more. Like, I, I'm like, what are you doing, man? He's like, I don't know. Like, all right, whatever, do your thing, do your thing. But... You know, verse 13 tells us that there were some who weren't willing to make that commitment because of the concern that they had for what other people were thinking. Now, the most important thing that we see in this particular passage is that humility is the key element on display here. 
these people were doing this out of a sense of humility. Peter and John and the rest of the church, they weren't preaching to bring glory to their name because I got to tell you, the thought of getting beaten, the thought of getting thrown in jail, that's not a really a good way to bring glory to your name, right? That's not exactly, hey, I'm going to get rich and famous preaching this because, oh, they're going to throw me in jail from it. What we see here is we see a, a sense of humility. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it tells us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is theirs. Now, the phrase poor in spirit has nothing to do with material poverty. In fact, something I read, one of the, one of the uh, writers that I read this week said that material poverty is actually upsetting to God. Because uh, particularly in our nation where we have so much, where we have so much, some of us are hoarding that material wealth instead of, like we saw in Acts chapter 4 last week, distributing it to help meet those needs. That's actually upsetting. But poor in spirit has nothing to do with being materially, material poverty. You can be rich and still be poor in spirit. All right. What poor in spirit means is that you understand your complete reliance on Jesus Christ. You understand that there is nothing that you can do without the aid and guidance of Jesus Christ. You, it is to understand, being poor in spirit is to understand your spiritual deadness before God and have a complete understanding that you are utterly helpless without him. But it's when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that we are no longer dead in our sins, that we are raised into something new. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. Now, in Acts 4, uh, 5, 14 through 16, we have several examples of the, of the humble or poor in spirit being enriched. Uh, first, in Acts 4, uh, 5, 14, we see that the humble are being saved. And what I mean by that is before you can be saved, you have to come to a place where you understand that you are completely broken spiritually. right? If, if you think that you're, you're the stuff spiritually, then there is no, there's very little chance that you're going to go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I'm where it's at. Go ahead and save me. Right? That's not, that's not what, it, what it is. That's why we see in, in the Gospels we have the, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and, and Jesus told him what he had to do. And because he believed that he, he was everything there was, he went away sorrowful. Now, Jesus told him he had to sell all of his possessions, right? But he was so caught up in his possessions that he was unwilling to part with that. And he left, he left Jesus without putting his faith and trust in him. Um, we see that they, the humble are, are saved. Second thing that we see is that the humble are healed. They came to the apostles looking for a physical restoration, and while the apostles' ministry, the, the, the ministry of healing and laying on of hands to, to heal, that was unique to that situation. It, it was unique. Um, there are still times where God intercedes in a miraculous way today. All right, we've all heard those stories where somebody had um, you know, a, a major, major illness or a major tumor or something, and people prayed over them. And then they went back to the doctor and they got their scans and the cancer was gone. We've all heard those stories, right? And that is God interceding in a miraculous way. But here's the thing. God, we are always going to be healed. Sometimes God is going to step in and he's going to do it here on earth. And there are other times where we're going to be healed when Christ comes back and restores everything. 
It's just a matter of us waiting on God's timing for that. Finally, the, the humble are delivered. Those oppressed by unclean spirits came to the apostles and they were delivered. In, in verse 16, it tells us that um, in addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. As they came to see the apostles in their humility, they were, they were released from the unclean spirits that, that had taken control of them. When we come humbly to Jesus, he sets us free from the sin that is keeping us from experiencing the, the spiritual freedom found only in him. Now, it's essential that we as believers continue to remember that we're poor in spirit. As soon as we start thinking that we've arrived, we're going to start to um, get in the way of what Jesus Christ wants to do for us. Our gospel ministry depends on us remembering that we are nothing without Jesus Christ. Uh, I heard a quote that uh, I heard a quote at this uh, conference that I went to that said this. It said, "Being a Christian is one beggar telling another beggar where to go get bread." All right, and if we have that mentality, we have to keep that mindset in order to have the impact on our society. We need to jump at opportunities to minister to the poor and the marginalized, whether here in our community or around the world. When we are poor in spirit, we're going to see these opportunities to minister to others. We're going to see that God has blessed us financially. All right, I got to tell you, the Lord has been good to me. I'm not, I'm not standing up here to brag because I am by no means a wealthy man. But God has been good to me, and he has given me opportunities, given our families opportunities to minister to other people. And I got to tell you this, the more that we minister to other people, the more it seems that we have. The more we give away, the more that we give to meet other people's needs, the more it seems that God gives to me. I don't understand it. I, I, I don't get it at all. Like We give, I mean, we... And again, please don't take this as a humble brag or anything. I'm not trying to boost myself. It just seems that the more that we give to meet other people's needs, we have not been in want for anything that I can remember. God has always met our needs and given us the ability to meet others. It's something that we, as, as a church, we're great at, but we, we can continue to work on, it, and God's going to meet our needs and make us what we need to be. The second thing that we see here in this passage, and this is where it gets a little, a little grimy, um, is the gospel enrages the prideful. All right, and so this is a longer passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me, let me break it down as we go through it. Acts 5, 17 says this. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Jealousy is a nasty thing. All right, jealousy is a, is a deadly, deadly thing. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the door of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and tell, tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So what we have happen here is, if you remember, we, we have the religious leaders. And um, at this particular time, there were two parties. There was the Pharisees. And there were the Sadducees, all right? I guess you can kind of think of it as two political parties, but unlike our two political parties, which are two sides of the same exact coin, we have the Pharisees over here, and they believed in super, the supernatural, and they believed in miracles. And you had the Sadducees, who were the liberals. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in any of that stuff. 
The Sadducees were the ones who were upset at what was happening here. Um, and as we saw in Acts chapter 4, the actions of the apostles were unsettling to the religious leaders. The high priest and the other Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They saw what was happening. They said, can't be having this, right? We cannot let these men continue to do what they're doing. Now, I don't think, I don't think that the, the religious leaders were bad people in the sense that they didn't want people being healed and people being set free from demon oppression and all that. Because le legitimately, who wants that, right? Like, oh, no, 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 we can't have you healing people over here. But what happened was their belief system was being challenged. What, the, what, the, what John and, uh, Peter and John and the, the other apostles were teaching was challenging their belief system, and it was causing them to lose power in the sight of the people. They were jealous because Peter and John were starting to get these large crowds of followers, people following them and people doing what they were saying. And they were saying, whoa, if this continues, they're not going to need us anymore. We got to do something to stop this. So to put an end to this, they, they started being bullies and they threw them in jail. Now, you and I are probably thinking in our 21st century mindset, like, that seems kind of an overreaction. These guys are teaching something. Let's have them thrown in jail. Right? That, that seems like an overreaction. Sadly, though, the same thing is continuing even today. I was listening to, uh, there, there's a gentleman named Albert Moeller. He's one of the presidents of uh, one of our Southern Baptist seminaries. He has a podcast that he does uh, every day called The Briefing. Uh, and last week, he did, he, he, one of his podcasts, he was talking about um, a, a foster care organization that in South Carolina, and they've been they've been meeting the needs of foster children and adoptees, and they've been helping families with that for decades. And then all of a sudden, the the Health and Human Services Department of South Carolina decided you have to start placing children with LGBT couples. You have to do this, or we're going to shut you down. This foster care organization that had the blessing of the state up until this point is a Christian organization. They said, look, we can't do it. And they said, well, here's the deal. You either do it, or we're shutting you down. Now, this may seem like it's a, 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 a one-off case, but in, uh, in, in Massachusetts, the same exact thing happened. There was an organization that was uh, helping to meet. It was the largest one in the state of Massachusetts. They were meeting the needs of, of hundreds of foster care families. And a group said, listen, you've got to start placing children in LGBT couples. You've got to start giving them to them. I know it's against your faith. You have to do it or you cannot do business anymore. And in, in essence, they ran them out of business. That, that organization in Massachusetts is no longer functioning, no longer meeting the needs of those children. Because it went against the belief system of these folks, they said, look, we cannot have that. We're going to shut you down, even though it meant being detrimental to these families and to these children because it went against their system, right? And when we try to meet the needs of people in the name of Jesus, we're going to face opposition. We're going to see this. And I wish I could tell you that it was just South Carolina and just Massachusetts. But on the same day, there were stories that coming out of Alabama about the same thing and stories out of Texas that were coming out of the same, about the same exact thing happening. When we are trying to spread the gospel and meet needs in the name of Jesus, we're going to face opposition like this. Let me read 1 Peter 4, uh, beginning in verse 12. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes against you to test you 
as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Peter and John were thrown in jail for what they were doing. Now, I, 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 you can tell that God has a sense of humor here. Because as we continue reading on, uh, and you can even see it here um, in verse 19. Remember, I told you that the Sadducees were the ones that had him arrested. The Sadducees didn't believe in the supernatural. So who did God send to set, get Peter and John out of prison? He sent an angel, someone the Sadducees didn't believe in. Let me, let me read a little bit of this here. It says, uh, beginning in verse uh, 21, I'm going to start halfway through the verse. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail, so they returned and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing in front of the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple and the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. So what happens? There's a miraculous event that happens here. Peter and John are in the jail. They've got the guards outside. Things are locked up. In the middle of the night, an angel shows up and sets them free. Now, so there's, there's some you know, debate, and none of us were there. Um, but most of, the, most of what I read said that it wasn't like the door opened and they walked out, which we'll see later on, something like that happens to Peter, that they were magically, or not magically, supernaturally transformed from being inside of the jail to being outside of the temple, that they were just transported like that, almost, I'll say Harry Potter, you know, they, they, they poofed and they were, they were there. Um, I lost about half of you with that Harry Potter comment. All right, but they, <laughs> they, they were outside of the jail. And so the next morning, the, the chief priest, he's got no idea that this is happening. The high priest has no idea that this is happening. So they get everybody together and say, look, those two guys that are causing problems, they're at it again. We got to do something this time. So they get together and they sent, the, uh, they sent the servant to the jail. And the servant comes back and he goes, listen, I got good news and I got some bad news. I'm like, all right, give me the good news. Give me the good news. Well, when I got there, the guards were in place. The door was closed and it was locked. Okay, okay, so what's the bad news? Well, I opened the door, nobody's inside. And verse 24 says they were baffled. They're probably like, okay, tell it to me one more time. Got to the door, it was locked, guards were there. Like, I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. I don't understand what you're saying. Right? They could not seem to wrap their head around how in the world the guards could be there. The door was locked, the chain was on the door, but nobody was inside. They could not grasp it. And then verse 25, it tells us that they got word of this. It says this, someone came and reported to them, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. They, they realized that they were on shaky ground here and grabbing these guys a second time in two days. So they, they asked him to come on in after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. 
Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So in essence, what happened is uh, the high priest went out and they said, listen, guys, we want to talk to you. Come on in. They did it real quiet because they were afraid they were going get, to get the beat down because people loved Peter and John. They, they loved what was going on. They brought him in, and as soon as they were inside and had the door shut, the high priest went nuts. Like, he lost his mind and started screaming at him. Didn't we tell you not to do this? Why are you doing this, right? You, you're teaching this, and, and the only thing that you're going to succeed in doing is turning the people against us and making us guilty of this man's blood. But here's the thing. They were guilty of this man's blood. It seems that in the, the, the two months that had passed since the uh, crucifixion, they forgot that this is what they said. Matthew 27, 24, and 25 says, When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. All the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So, they, they were upset. They're, they're going, you're going to make us guilty of this man's blood. Two months earlier, they were saying, his blood's on us, man. We're doing this thing. And Peter, he had that opportunity, and he began to preach the message that he preaches. He said, look, here's Jesus. You all killed him, but God raised him from the dead. He, he presented the gospel to them again. He had the opportunity to share the gospel, and because God, he was emboldened by the Holy Spirit, he proceeded to do that. Now, the, the religious leaders heard this, and it pushed them over the edge. Right? That I, I entitled this section, The Gospel Enrages the Prideful. There are going to be times when people hear the gospel, and it makes them angry. Because they're confronted with the full measure of their sin. And they're not ready to accept the fact that the things that they've been doing and the life that they've been living and all of those things are sin. And because sin is an affront to a holy God, it means that they have to humble themselves before God to have their sins forgiven. And when they're confronted with that, it makes them angry. It makes them upset. It's like I, I told you last week, there have been times where people have come to me about my sin. And my first reaction to that is to get defensive, is to, 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 to pull my pull my shields up because I don't want to hear that what I've been doing is, is, is inappropriate, that it's wrong. I don't want to hear that. That's exactly what was happening here. But this enraged them. All right, The, the Greek word that um, if you look in verse uh, 33, it says this. When they heard this, they were enraged. That Greek word there means to be cut through, to be cut to the quick. Right? It got right to the center of who they were. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the, the word of God is a sword piercing through. Uh, forgive me, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, so don't be upset if I don't get all the words right. But um, right, that it, it cuts through, and, and that's exactly what happened. They were enraged, and they wanted to kill them. I don't know if you've been so angry you wanted to kill somebody before. You've got to be pretty mad. You've got to be pretty upset that, to get to that place. So let me continue. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel... 
a teacher of the people who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said, Let, let's, let's clear the air, all right? Y'all are about to make a bad choice. Let's get these guys out of here. You all take a break. Go sit and time out for a little bit. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful about what you are about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in those days, in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished and all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, origin it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. All right, I'm going to stop right there. We'll continue. So just before the, just before the, the high priests were about to kill him, and there is some discussion as to whether they were really going to kill them or not. They, they didn't get to be the, the high priests and the, the powerful leaders in Israel by being dumb and making dumb choices. Had they killed him, that would have been a, been a problem. Um, Gamaliel stepped in. Now, Gamaliel is an important guy, and we're going to see him again uh, in the, later on in the book of Acts. Gamaliel was a Pharisee. He wasn't one of the Sadducees. He was a Pharisee. His name means reward of God. He was a true believer in God. One of the, um, I would say one of the rare Pharisees who actually had faith in who God was. Now, that name, Gamaliel, he was actually the teacher who taught Saul who would become the Apostle Paul. And he stepped in, he said, listen, we're about to make a bad choice here, all right? We should probably just let these guys alone because if this is of human origin, it's gonna peter out eventually. It's not gonna work. But if it's of God, if it's, an or, if it's from God, you're gonna be fighting against God. And I don't think you want anybody to, I don't think you wanna be finding yourselves in that situation. And so they decided, okay, we're convinced. We're not going to do anything. So uh, as we continue, it says, verse 40, it says, After they called the apostles in and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. So they called them in and they had them beaten. I was reading in Deuteronomy as part of my, my yearly Bible reading. Um, it said you can't beat somebody more than 40 times because after that you're starting to humiliate them. So they brought them in and they beat them. I don't know what they beat them with, but I can promise you it wasn't a feather. I can promise you, all right, well, growing up, my, my mom and dad sitting over here, they used to spank me, all right? They used to spank me with a belt. It hurt. It hurt a lot, okay? And I, I'm sure that there are, some of you are uh, a little bit older than I am. Some of you probably had that experience as well. You know that it is not a walk in the park to get spanked by your mom and dad, particularly with a belt or a wooden spoon or, or whatever it is that they were able to grab onto. All right. Imagine getting hit 40 times by, by these guys. They were beaten for what they did. But here's the thing. Peter and John, as soon as they were done, and we'll, we'll, we'll read this here as we continue, they went out and they continued to do the exact thing that they were ordered not to do. They continued to go out and preach. And, and the, the thing that this sets up here is that we are called to obey our, our leaders. We are called to obey the individuals that are put into place. That means that if there's a president, whether we like him or not, 
We are called to obey that president. We are called to respect that president. The scripture, Romans chapter 16, I believe it is, it's very specific. We are to follow what our leaders tell us. Unless that, that, uh, the thing that they're telling us to do goes against the scripture. At which point we, may, we are then to follow what God has called us to do. We don't have to like what they're telling us to do. We are still to be obedient because that's what the Bible tells us to do. That's what Peter and John were doing until it came to the place where the, the, what they were being told to do violated the scripture. Now let's go, we're gonna go to the, uh, to the last place here. Uh, the last thing that we see in Acts 41 and 42 says this. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The third thing we see here is the gospel energizes the believers. Now, Peter and John, they've been arrested twice. They've been thrown into jail twice. This second time, they got a beating. All right? they, 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 they received uh, probably up to 40 lashes. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, there was probably 20 years ago, there was that dude in Singapore or Sri Lanka or wherever, he was supposed to get a beating. Right? And it was big news because they were going to hit him with this big old stick. Peter and John were released. Now, they got arrested twice. They got, they got this beaten. That's the end of this Jesus thing, right? It's all done. Now, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to be thrown in jail. Nobody wants to get beaten. That should be the end of this Jesus thing. Right? It's all done. The, the religious, religious leaders are wiping their foreheads and said, okay, we, we, we took care of this. But what happened? Peter and John went out rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to be the ones to get a beating on, on behalf of Jesus Christ. They were energized. They were fired up. And what does it say they did? They continued to go back to the temple, the place where they got arrested, the place where all of this went down. They continued to go to the temple and do the very thing that they were told not to do. Now, why was this happening? Why did Peter and John continue to get up and in the face of beatings and, and being thrown in jail? Why did they continue to do this? Because the gospel is energizing. The gospel gets you excited. When we are ministering and sharing the gospel, it should fill us up with energy. We should get excited about the fact that we get to share the greatest story, the greatest message on earth. This is, this is why we, we continue to do it. This is the reason why there are missionaries who leave the comforts of the United States and travel to countries all across the world where, where things are difficult and there's, there's pain and suffering waiting them. That's why they're willing to go and do those things. Because the gospel is energizing. That's the reason why there are church planters who know that they're going to be eating ramen noodles and beans and rice. They're going to be on the Dave Ramsey plan for probably the rest of their lives, eating beans and rice and driving a beater car. Because they know that God has called them to, to set up the ministry. That's why there are those of us here in this church who are willing to make financial sacrifices to give money to our Annie Armstrong and to our Lottie Moon offerings to be able to enable people to go out and do those things. We do that because the gospel is energizing. It's what keeps, uh, keeps us going. Now, as we're seeing from the experiences of the apostles, the Christian life is a life of suffering. If a, pastor, if a preacher stands up before you 
and tells you that God wants you to be rich, that God wants you to be happy, and that God wants you to be successful, he's lying to you. Right? God, nowhere in the scripture does it tell you that God wants you to be rich and happy and successful. But God wants you to be faithful. Right? And that's what we see from Peter and John, that they're, they're, they're probably not, they're probably not, or, um, what am I trying to say here? I'm losing my thoughts. They're not happy right now. They're not rich. They are certainly not rich. But they are faithful. They are staying true to what God has called them to do. And while God does not want his children to be miserable, the sin of this world will cause suffering. However, that suffering is not without a purpose. When we suffer, when we have difficult times, like Peter and John just experienced, it is not meaningless. It is not pointless. There is a reason behind it. We don't suffer for no reason. Our suffering connects us to Jesus Christ, and it is proof of our Christian calling. Philippians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 29 says this, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And not only that, not only does it connect us with Jesus, uh, but our suffering connects us with our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. And as we saw with Peter and John, it can bring great joy. It can energize us. So do we want to experience great joy? If so, then what we need to do is we need to follow the model laid out in Acts chapter 5. We must be passionate toward those with needs. I think we do a good job of that. I think we see needs and we're great at meeting them. We need to meet those needs both physically, both physical and spiritual. We must be bold in our Christian witness to others, especially in the face of persecution. We must be filled with respect and integrity toward those who may be oppressing us. We are able to do this, uh, sorry, we are able to do this because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Right? When there's suffering, we can be bold in that face and we can be respectful to those that are doing it because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We are able to suffer for his name because we know that Jesus has won the victory for us. Let me close with this verse, Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again, uh, as I do each time I, I'm able to stand up here and, and proclaim your word. Lord, I thank you for the example set for us by Peter and John. Lord, I thank you for what you did through Peter and John in the early church, because 2,000 years later, we're able to sit here and we're able to study what they did and, and find ways to apply that to our own lives. So, Father, I pray that today um, that, that we would take the things that we study or that we saw here, Lord, in ministering through the gospel, remembering to be humble and remembering to be re respectful in the face of persecution, but um, also that ministering through the gospel brings great joy and it, it energizes us, Lord. It's what keeps us going, uh, that, that feeling of, of seeing someone, seeing someone's needs met through through our, our direct ministry or our, our giving, our the, the money that we send to help others, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would all be different as a result of being here today, that we would be more like your son as a result of studying your word. Father, if there's anyone who has not made a commitment to, to be a believer, who has never given their lives, never humbled themselves before you and given their heart to you, asking you to, to replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh and reconcile, reconcile them back to you through, through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that that's done, whether they're sitting here with us in the church 
whether they're watching us via Facebook Live or, or hear us later on the, uh, the, the podcast that we put up, Lord. Lord, I pray that, that our lives would be touched in it, that the seed that we're spreading right now through this, that um, lives would be different and, and that we would see fruit as a result of this. But Lord, if there's anyone who has never done that, Lord, I pray that they would do that. Lord, if there's anyone here today who is, who is clinging and holding on to some anger, who's holding on to some, some unforgiveness, some, some bitterness, Lord, if there's anyone who's clinging and holding on to those things, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would lay that down at your feet, that they would trust you to, to know that you are the one who, is, who, who, will, who will take care of all of those things. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to, to take uh, communion here, to take the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes, Lord, I pray that those of us that have unconfessed sins, that we would use uh, the next few minutes to, to prepare our hearts before you. Lord, we ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.